0: All Things Overlanding podcast. My name is Fletch and I'll be your host. Are you ready for some great overlanding content? Then let's get into it. Hey everybody, Fletch from All Things Overlanding here. On today's episode of the podcast slash vlog, I'm going to be talking to another podcaster. Uh, his name is Mike East. He runs a website called Off Grid Essential and it's a sweet site. Like he's got a ton of great information on there. Um, he and his family live out west, so they have access to all this awesome stuff like Moab and you know Overland Expo West, all that cool stuff that I will not see for a while probably. Um, but so I'm going to talk to Mike a little bit today about his podcast, about kind of what he does with his website, about the content that he's got. I'm going to talk to him about his rig. Um, tons of great information. So uh, stick around to see that interview with Mike. Before we dive into it though, just wanted to quickly mention my partners. Overland Addict sells everything to do with overlanding. So great online store, great customer service, just an awesome place. Chad, the dude that runs it is an awesome guy who also has a YouTube channel. Um, But so check them out in the description below. Uh, Last US Bags makes some amazing overlanding bags like super high quality made in America stuff. Awesome, awesome stuff. Check them out as well in the description below. Uh, More Expo, we're only about two weeks away now. So I'm getting super excited about that, but that is an annual Midwest overlanding style expo. Um, so again, get your tickets now if you're planning to go to that, or if not, you can buy tickets at the door too, but it's going to be a sweet event and it's coming up in a couple weeks. Um, and then last but not least, Northology adventures, uh, Again, this is just a great, great gal, Cindy. She's amazing. Uh, She makes this awesome free digital overlanding magazine with beautiful photography and awesome articles about overlanding. And again, it's totally free. So click through that link, go there, sign up, get yourself a copy of it every month when it comes out. And actually, in February, I will have an article in there. So I feel super important and special. Um, So again, that was it for that. So let's dive into the interview with Mike. So, yeah, Mike, welcome.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate (laughs) it.
0: This is the awkward weird part. All right, we'll do this again. It's all all right. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, So, tell us about yourself. Like, what got you into overlanding? When did you start?
1: So, I think, you know, um, I was in the Army for many years and I had never really camped or done anything outdoorsy as a kid. I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta with my parents. My parents worked very, you know, suburban jobs. And I just had a really suburban childhood. And when I joined the army, I joined combat arms. I was a a tank crew member um, on an Abrams tank. And that career field in the army puts you what they called in the field for months, you know, weeks and weeks at a time where you were living out of a duffel bag and I used to think it was fun. I used to think going out and kind of camping with the tank and, you know, being outside for weeks at a time was a lot of fun. And But I was young and that was just kind of the army thing. I didn't really think much of it. Then my job took me to, I got out, I became a police officer for the government. My job took me out to Wyoming and I had never lived in a place like Wyoming at all. And yeah. Wyoming is like a whole nother west of its own, you know, and yeah. So it started with just me and my wife being like, hey, this is a beautiful area. It's summertime. Let's go camping. And so we would go out and we would find these like awesome places. Wyoming really has some incredible landscapes and just places to go visit. And it became like this family thing we did where we were unplugged. We were just enjoying each other in the outdoors. And you're seeing all these beautiful places you wouldn't see from your house. And it became just this hobby. And then we moved down to Colorado and that just opened up more doors for outdoor activities and so it just became like this we just became like this endless recreational family we were every weekend heading out heading over the slope to moab and just it's just a lot of fun and you know moab being 6 hours from my house it's an easy weekend trip to go do yeah and so it just evolved from like Hey, we're going to go camping as a family just to get out of the house. And then it became, Hey, we're going to go every weekend. And then it became, Hey, we need more stuff for the truck. And <laughs> before you know it, you're just really deep into this lifestyle.
0: Right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, I looked at Moab once cause I'm stuck in Indiana. So I'm super jealous, but I think it's like 24 hours of driving for me to get there. So
1: a friend of well, mine, you could like, drive 18 hey, to hey, my hey, house and then we could just shoot over.
0: There you go. I'll just come there and work for like a month. And then <laughs> just, but yeah, I was like, my buddy's like, let's take a week trip. And I was like, okay, but like two, at least two days of that each way are driving. <laughs> so we're going to have yes. three days on the trails, which is not bad. But if I'm going to do it, I want to take like two weeks and go. Yeah, out after trails.
1: that, after getting there, you'll be a little just road fried. You know, You it'll be yeah. tough to enjoy the, the trails. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome. So what's your rig? Like, what do you drive now? So I have a 2013 Toyota Tundra uh, Rock Warrior Edition. Um, which I love that truck. It's, it's the, it's the older model, but I like the look of it. I like that they had that rock warrior package when it came out. I still love those wheels, um, just that rock warrior wheel package. And so I keep it just the way it came, except for there is a, um, Toyota factory installed level, uh, on the front. Nice. And other than that, I've got a snug top camper shell with a Thule Tapui Kukanom 3 on top of that with some Yakima racks. And uh, BFG KO two tires, and you know pretty much just a pretty standard truck.
0: Yeah, now that's awesome. I it, it always does kind of crack me up. Like people are like, you should, you know, with the Nissans, you should Titan swap it and put you know Titan underpinnings and give you more room for lift, and you should VK swap it and put a five point six liter V eight out of a Titan. And I'm like, but that defeats the. A- purpose for overland, like i want reliability and like that yeah. stock reliability with a little lift and some tires to make it you know and, and maybe some armor to protect it but yeah keeping it stock like that i think for overlanding is a smart we're like we're not rock crawlers right like for overlanding no. that makes perfect sense so i love that and those things are yeah. bulletproof too those earlier tundras like that
1: I love it. It's got 145,000 miles. People think in, you know, a lot of people think that's really high mileage. I'm going to ride that thing till it falls apart. I just love yeah. it the way it is. And probably I got I'm 10 years. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. Um, so do you prefer then? I mean, that kind of answers the question a little bit, maybe, right? But do you prefer like older vehicles? Or are you more of like, a, oh, I may buy the new Bronco? Or like, do you like newer vehicles? Or do you like older vehicles?
1: So it's funny, I have this Tundra. But prior to that, I had a new Ram 1500. And I hated it. And it wasn't just because it was a Ram or Chrysler vehicle, like a lot of guys will say, which <laughs> there's some truth there to that, you know. <laughs> sure. But Beyond all that, I would put money into it and I would lift it and I would add things to it. And I'm like, it's just this, it's too pretty. It was too clean. I, I just like a little grit in my vehicle. I like to have a little age on it, some yeah. some Colorado pinstriping from the branches. You know, I, I like that stuff. And I would drive it into the mountains and I'm like, oh, I don't want to scratch it. Or, oh, it's yeah. I just didn't like it. And I kind of like having something older with character. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, I'm
0: the exact same way. I, I have a buddy who has a Ram 1500. Yeah, I think it's a 1500 and I have a funny video of him from that camping trip a couple weeks ago that I was talking about where he, his four wheel drive is out and he's waiting on a part from Chrysler. It's a Chrysler, right? So Yeah, four wheel drive is out, Um, but he's in two wheel drive and there's kind of a little muddy lift uh, that you have to get over just to get into the campsite just getting into a campsite, not a trail. (laughs) And he gets up this lift a little bit and it kicks sideways and he tears his rear taillight off getting into the campsite. This was two weeks ago. And the same thing, right, where I was kind of like, if that was my truck, like, yeah, I'd be mad, but like, it's 16 years old, you know? Like, I wouldn't be heartbroken about it. Like, everybody is, like, everybody I feel like on, and tell me your thoughts, are like running out to buy the new Bronco. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool, but like, I would never take that off-road. Can you imagine putting
1: all that money into that new Bronco and then your first trip out, you're scratching things, breaking things, new parts are just not even known yet. I mean, yeah.
0: Reliability? Who knows,
1: right? Yeah, you're jumping in. You're you're gam. I I personally think you're gambling at that point. But again, some people love having the newest, latest stuff. Yeah. Uh, My wallet and my own affection for older things won't let me. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I think
0: I. I have a really tough time with that argument because I do think, like, my wife leases a new vehicle every few years because she's boring and she doesn't like to modify things. and it is kind of nice, like having warranty and not having to really care about it or worry about it. But man, I just, I'm telling you that first time I heard a scrape under the truck or something going over some rocks, I'd be freaking out. So Well,
1: on that note, so that we're in the same position. So I have the older truck with high mileage that we take all over the country, but my wife, because she, you know, she's, she's, she saw all of this van life stuff. And so she, we just went out and bought her a new uh ProMaster 2500 high roof nice. van that we're going to start building on because we have kids and sometimes we just want to be self-contained and just yeah. jump in the back and the solo stealth camp and walmart parking lot if we're traveling or um so that's going to be fun and like you said it's got the warranty it's got that peace of mind like i'm gonna i could drive 100,000 miles and i'm i should be okay so <laughs> chrysler but you know it should right. be okay um so i mean we threw some new all-terrain tires on it and we're going to start a slow build on it but I like my old truck with character and I also like her new vehicle with that peace of mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good answer. Well, that van life stuff is crazy too. So I've done an episode or two on van life just because I'm fascinated with it because I like overlanding for the same reasons people like van life. I mean, I I have a family too and like a a job in a location. So like I can't just get in the van and drive across country. Well, I mean, I probably could, I guess, but, (laughs) but my wife would not go for that. Um, but I love that van life thing. So like how deep do you guys think you're going to go? Are you just going to use the space? Or are you going to build out wood
1: interior and sinks and shelves and beds? You know, I, when we look at this and we've talked a lot about this. So I think there's two types of van lifers right now. There's those that are like either single or it's like maybe them and they're, you know, a couple yeah. and they can afford, not afford, but they can, they can, yeah, they can afford the room to just yeah. build out cabinets and sinks and showers and a bed okay. Look, I got two dogs and two kids and a wife. We're going to basically build some plank bunk beds and have some place to store our stuff and just go hit the road. It's going to be very utilitarian. We're not going to do anything fancy.
0: That's awesome. I, I like that too. I I appreciate both builds, right? Like I've seen the ones that are like super fancy like that. And I'm like, dude, that is nicer than an RV, you know? Like that would be really cool. But then you see like, there's also, I the ones that I actually find myself watching more YouTube video wise is like the single 20 something year old kid that's like going to college and paying his own way and he's just like hey guys about this cheap thing on amazon this inverter and now i'm gonna plug it in and attach it to my ceiling with self-tapping screws and it's like i'm just like dude ha? and he's got this crazy setup and a computer running and a monitor and an xbox yeah. and i'm like that's cool
1: so well we've looked at some secondhand vans and uh it's really interesting the secondhand market for vans because it comes in a couple categories one being like old transportation companies that are like getting rid of their high mileage, like, you know, customer transport van. And then you have the guy who went and bought a high roof van and tried to play electrician himself. And, and then you've got like, you can tell like things have been done and you're not sure on the quality and longevity. And then you've got kind of, you can just go safer and higher price, which is just buy something new. That's what we decided on.
0: Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I, uh, I talked to, you want to talk about high line, high price, high-quality builds. I talked to uh, Dustin from uh, Ozark Mountain Adventure Vans. Like a couple I listened to ago. that one, yeah. Dude, those things are like limos built into vans. It's crazy. Well, he seemed like they were like, having like, a good time over there 100%.
1: building those. Yeah,
0: it's like, I'm like, that's, it is really amazing. Like, no, I'm not talking crap at all. I'm just like, man, I'm thinking of like, would I have to get a, like a home equity loan? Like, how would I ever afford that? Like, I, don't I would know have- how
1: insurance companies assume payoffs yep. and and rebuild costs on those because i guess unless you're updating them every step of the way i don't think your standard policy is probably going to cover that i wouldn't think
0: yeah yeah you'd probably have to have something right like you'd have to have some sort of special coverage or yeah. well for the ghetto
1: bunk beds we're going to build i don't think i'll need any extra you probably be funny. fine yeah
0: you lose some plywood it's okay that's
1: right yeah that's
0: funny well that, no that's really cool i love that um
1: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check
0: So you have a podcast and this could bring us into like Off-Grid Essential, right? Like what what then made you, so based on your history and being into, you know, camping and and overlanding and stuff, like what made you want to start your website, the Off-Grid Essential?
1: So it came kind of when quarantine started and this was when probably back in March or April when nobody was leaving their house. I mean, like jobs were sending people home, kids weren't going to school and we were all just sitting around the house. And I already worked from home um, and I was just kind of bored. I was trying to look for new things to do and a YouTube video or something I saw talked about, you know, ways you can make side income and have a, you know, turn a hobby into a stream of income. And it kind of put me onto blogging. Now, when I jumped into this, I knew nothing about blogging competition, Google competition. I was just like, oh, I like to go out overlanding and camping and I'll just write about that. Turns out it's super competitive and uh, it's very saturated. However, it's still something I enjoy doing, so it doesn't really feel like work. I just get to document what I'm doing and give my opinions on the outdoors and gear, and so I enjoy it. Um, but it kind of just came to fruition in 2020, just out of a out of a boredom thing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, and I mean, I've taken a look, and obviously, of course, guys, as always, I'll put a link in the description to the website and everything, but it sounds like you get a lot of visitors and like, you've got a ton of awesome content on there. So like, is it all based off of your trips or do you like do research and like come up with topics or how do you like come up? Cause you've written a lot. Like I've had a website for like four years and I have like maybe fit 20, 25 blogs on there, but like you have a bajillion.
1: (laughs) Well, I would say mine are broken up into two categories. And one would be just like personal trips and personal, anecdotes maybe you know how to go truck camping in my, from my own words um or a hey, this was my recent trip to valley of the gods you know it was fun here's some pictures yeah. and then there's the other side of i need to monetize this and try to at least turn this into some sort of income and that would be where your average consumer googles things like what's the best shovel for overlanding and then i'll kind of do some research look at the top competitors give the pros and cons link them to amazon or those companies and get a little small affiliate commission and while I understand that's part of just having a website and you have to monetize it in some ways, it's definitely not my favorite part of having the website because I kind of feel like I'm just creating these, Hey, here's the best of the A for B, you know? And it's, right. it feels, I mean, it answers that question for the consumer, but in reality, I'd rather just kind of blog about my personal experiences. And that's what made me go into YouTube was I don't need to sell anything in YouTube. I can just show what we're doing and having fun. Yeah. And it's more, it's more genuine, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But it is funny because, of course, YouTube's owned by Google, but like the same rules apply. So one of my top videos is my 10 things I don't hate about my Nissan Xterra. And I literally did that as a jab at all those people that are like, 10 things I hate about my, you know, Jeep JK. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't every. And since all I watch is like overlanding stuff, every time I go to YouTube, it's like top 10 reasons to hate your Gladiator. Like that's just a laundry list of laundry lists. And so I made that as a joke, like I, that's why I specifically named it like backwards like that. And it's like my third best, like from a views standpoint, like my third best video ever. So it works, you know, it works. There is some some truth to that, but that's the only one like that I've ever done. The
1: video that I think has the most traction for me, well, it's very odd. I don't, I still don't understand YouTube and how they figure out metrics and how they display things. Their algorithm is very confusing to me, but yeah. I did an article about my truck drawer bed system that I had where I had kind of just used, you know, some I, I followed someone else's YouTube video and I made my own truck platform sleeping platform for the bed that had a drawer system built into it. And I did a video about that drawer system. And that video does very well. Well, relative to my small channel, it does well. But then one day when YouTube shorts came out, I took like an eight second clip of driving through Moab and I wrote driving through Moab and I posted it eight seconds and it got (laughs) 2,500 views in like four days. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this makes no sense. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, YouTube is a weird place, but it's also like this really fun. Like I, I really love it in like a weird, I feel like we're like on the ground floor of it, even though it's been around forever, right? Like not on the ground floor like a Casey Neistat or, you know, those people that like literally invented vlogging or like, yeah. you know, were doing stuff on like big, awful cameras back in the day and then converting it and uploading it and stuff. But like, I feel like it's still like this weird, small community, unlike like the general internet, where like, still like people just like reach out to me all the time. And they're like, Hey, I saw this thing that you did. And I had a question or, Hey, how'd you get started? Or can you give me any tip?" I had a, the other day I had a zoom call with a guy, I never met the guy. He messaged me on Facebook. He liked one of my posts in like an overlanding Facebook group. And he's like, dude, I'm trying to start a channel. Could we like, could I chat with you, pick your brain sometime? I was like, yeah, man, I got an hour. You want to just hop on a Zoom? And we just had a Zoom. And he was a super nice guy. And I walked him through like how to set up a little free extension tool and stuff. And like, but it's so fun like that. Like you can reach out to these people and they're just humans. Like they're not people, real like celebrities or anything. They're just normal people and like some of them aren't willing to help but for the most part i feel like a lot of people are very helpful and like down to earth on youtube still At i least. think
1: i think people understand the, the the grind i mean yeah if you say to yourself i'm going to start a youtube channel or i'm going to start a website or i'm going to start a podcast any sort of publishing or content creating business on face value it feels like it'll be very easy i'll write a bunch of blog posts i'll just make a couple of videos, you know, real easy. And I'll post them. And I'll get some followers. But in reality, it's keyword research and planning and editing and then promoting, or at least trying to get your word out there. It's a very long, like I said, in the email, it's just kind of a marathon and I'm just embracing yep. the fact that this is a long game. I don't care how long it takes. I'll just have fun and do it. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, and you have to be careful. I try to be a really positive person, but I'm also, I think deep down, I'm kind of a hater, like deep down, like, and I, i I actively pushed that down, but like, I've definitely seen people who like, they will start a channel like a month ago and then they have like 50,000 views on every single thing they've ever done. And I'm like, how did they do that? Like, I've been doing this for a year and a half and I've 3500 subscribers you know and like these people are like 500 is a
1: a feat man that's ask anybody who started a channel that's not easy to do you
0: know oh yeah yeah it's crazy but but at the same time then i'm like that's so great and i am super excited for you and like my audience is my it's different people like different things and we all i think everybody probably has like 20 30 40 youtube channels that they follow so it's not really a competition but still i'm always like I don't want to like focus on virality as my focus, but I, I kind of question sometimes like, am I doing something wrong? Like, should I, should I be thinking of like the top 10 lists every week and dropping a top five, top 10? But I don't want to do it to my audience, you know?
1: Well, I foolishly just yesterday posted a, and I hate blah, blah, blah about my rooftop 10 because I was <laughs> trying to just think of something that might give more clicks. And, yep. uh, you know, when you don't have a lot of followers, it's hey, tough. You have two options. You can just post what you like and forget algorithms and forget, yeah. you know, the noise and you might get traction and blow up that way. Hopefully, or you yeah. can try to hack the algorithm as they say and see what <laughs> works. And let me tell you, neither works for me on YouTube, but I'll just keep playing. Yeah, YouTube is YouTube is really, really, really
0: weird in that regard where it's almost like they have some sort of a set. I don't know what it is, but like a set term. I mean, it's basically the the rules to monetization, right? Like you have to have 4,000 hours of watch time in a 12 month rolling period, plus at least 1000 subscribers. And that really is, I think that's the algorithm, right? Is like, they want to just see that you're going to do it and you're going to do it consistently because that's what people like is people like knowing every, like every Sunday is when I drop my podcast slash vlog every Sunday for the last like year and a half and youtube especially i mean i think my people like it too because they know hey it's monday morning i have a new thing to listen to on the way to work um but like youtube especially i think has responded and again not like it's not like they're pushing me to the top and like there are people making way cooler stuff than me and way better stuff than me um they go way more viral than me but like i feel like i feel kind of blessed in a way that like i feel like they're definitely giving me a little bump on some things for being consistent
1: I think that slow and steady approach is, I think, because I've been following SEO pretty closely for the last year, and I think Google's push right now, and like you said, Google being a parent company of YouTube, I think they're rewarding consistent quality publishing, whether it's a website or a YouTube video, um, because I think the internet... Over the last few years became like this land of just post your top 10 of anything and be at the top of lists. And I think Google's now looking for more quality, consistent, genuine publishing on any platform. And I think that does slowly get rewarded.
0: Yep. No, I think you're definitely right. Well, and I mean when you think about it, right? Like that's to your point of hacking the algorithm. And I've, you know, I've been in marketing for a while now. And so I hear that stuff all the time. And like yeah that's what well it works and but at the same time like that's literally google's aim is to stop that right yeah. so like the best like the best advice i've ever gotten or given to like a client or anything like that a client like we've had clients before and marketing stuff that i've done that are like i need five posts a week on twitter and three posts a week on facebook and two on youtube and whatever and we're like why like why do you just want to make content for content's sake like if you just really focus on who you want to engage with your content and write good stuff that shows value and helps them, then like you will get that loyalty, you'll get that, you know, you'll you'll build that brand, you'll build that, that uh, background. And so I feel like that's really where they're going with it. And that's what I hope you know, that's my real hope. Is like, again, I did that one as a kind of a joke, like, "Hey, top ten things I don't hate," just to see if it would go, you know, spike through the roof, and it did, which is a little disconcerting because I'm like, <laughs> dang it, I'm trying to make good stuff here, and not just follow the trends. But when I follow the trends, I get more views. Um, but I hope that the audience sees that that's good, right? And, and same with you, because I'm sure that you get, like you said, you get a ton of visits to your site, way more than I do, which is impressive. So,
1: well, that's only because I I embrace that whole. <sighs> That I just I hate to say it because I it feels very like low effort when you do it, but when you're like, all right, here it is, the best tires for overlanding. You know, like I I hate writing those articles, but (laughs) sometimes Google will reward those if that's what people are genuinely searching for. It's low competition.
0: Yeah.
1: But the ones I like writing about and the ones I like filming are just like, hey, me and my dog are going to go Moab for three days. Here's how it was. Might have been boring to you, but it was just our trip and it was fun. You know. So, but that's what I enjoy doing. I don't know that that's what people are searching for, but I do believe if you're genuine to your audience and you just post what you do and you just keep it real, you know, and I think people appreciate that because there's so many people who are funded by marketing agencies and their every post they do has like a mission on, on target audience. And that's not who I am. I don't think that's who you are. I think I just like publishing what I do.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, out of curiosity, what's your like setup from a, and this is more for me probably than the podcast, but like, what do you film with? You use a phone or your smartphone person? Or are you a,
1: like a big fancy camera person? Like what do you use? So I've got a big fancy camera just because I've been doing photography as a hobby for many years. And so I have a nice camera. However, when I'm just out, like, for example, like that last video about my rooftop tent, I just pull out my phone and just film with my phone. I mean, Granted, the frame rate's not going to give you smooth slow-mos, but I don't even make those. I don't know how to do them. So I just got to put my phone in front of my face and talk, and it seems to be good enough quality for YouTube.
0: Yeah. You know, that's great. Well, that's, uh, I've become friends with Jeremiah from Overland Pioneers, another YouTube channel. Really super good guy. But like the same exact, we have this exact same conversation because like he is a photographer, like he does real estate drone footage and photography for a living and I'm sitting over here with my little iPhone and like my little DJ Osmo action, you know? And I'm like, I'm I'm a YouTuber and I'm talking to him and I'm like, what do you use? And he's like, and he took some amazing shots of my truck like when we went to the UP of Michigan and like, I was like, oh, this is why you need a real camera. Um, But that aside, like as I'm talking to him, he's like, dude, I hardly ever use the camera. He's like, unless I am literally saying I'm shooting a video for a client, that is a professional video, and it needs to be professional, like 4K high quality video. He's like, I just use my phone 95 percent of the time. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. It's so it's good enough, and it's so much easier that you don't miss stuff, right? So
1: yeah, I like, and it. you know the the mediums we use to absorb content these days, Instagram, Facebook, they can't even support what right. your big fancy camera is going to put out. So. Yeah unless I'm doing like astrophotography when we're camping and I want to get the, you know, the Milky Way, which I can't do with my phone, I'll pull out the nice camera and, and, you know, take a good shot. But 95% of the time, my iPhone's in front of my face and I feel like a dumb, dumb 40 year old with a DJI Osmo talking to it, you know, but it is what it is. That's what I like to film on.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. I think too, that that it's interesting, like, like talking about the audience and what the audience wants and stuff like, I feel like I like at one point, like a year ago, like when I was still early on, I was like, man, should I like invest in a DSLR and learn to use it, which I really just didn't want to do. But I feel like that would have been a mistake now looking back, because I feel like a lot of people, exactly what you said a little bit ago, right? Like they, they want to trust you. They don't want a big, like huge, like crazy sponsored up, like professional, like we want to watch that stuff sometimes. But like, if you just want to get like the real nitty gritty, like what does somebody like me do when they go out for a two day trip? Or, you know, what chair is that guy using? Because he obviously doesn't have a million dollars, right? And I don't either. That I think is more genuine. And I I think people appreciate that.
1: I think it translates much better to your audience because it's very, I think it's very important to put out content that people relate to. And when you start talking about, big budget youtube channels and like filmmaking storytelling they're doing i tried that a couple of times it's so hard and i didn't even feel genuine doing it i'm like we're just camping what am i doing you know what i mean
0: right yeah no i i agree 100 percent. well that's i i was even a little hesitant so like you've probably if you've seen my stuff you see that i have those four partners that i mentioned at the beginning right. and like i was even really hesitant about that but like again they Some of them pay me a little bit. Some of them don't. Some of them just mention me in their stuff, right? Like, it's not like, that's, I was really hesitant because I was like, I don't want to come off as like this person that's like doing this full time or like is lying to anyone about, you know, me just being a weekend warrior and stuff like that. Um, But they are like, the one good thing is I love all of the ones that I have because they are like mom and pop, like small 20 person company is about the biggest last U S bags, about 20 person. But like overland addict is a guy that owns a shop. And Northology is a gal that runs a website and takes people on tours. And, you know, more expo is a guy that runs an exposition once a year. Like they're just like real normal people. So I, I always worry about that, but I hope that people see that that's not like some sort of a money grab or like, that I'm trying to be like the next expedition overland. I just, I like these guys and, you know, we all mention each other and help each other out. I so. think,
1: I think people these days are conditioned to know that if you're putting out content, part of that grind is just trying to get some sponsors to help support right. what you're doing. Uh, if no one knows by listening, none of us are getting rich, at least on our end, you know, doing this stuff. Right. It's just kind of a hobby that we maybe make a couple bucks doing, but, um, I'd rather make a couple bucks doing something I enjoy yeah. than make a lot more either selling out or doing something I don't enjoy.
0: Yeah, no, that's perfect. Yeah, it's, You're absolutely right. It is it's it is funny. I feel like on those overlanding like Facebook groups and stuff, people all the time are like, I'm not paying for you to live your dream while I'm grinding. And, and I'm like, dude, okay. do you realize that it takes like, I do two videos a week, sometimes more, but generally at least two videos a week. And I probably spend eight to 10 hours a week, like just editing them, not including like having to go and take a trip and shoot stuff and remember to bring your gear and remember to bring your cameras and your tripod, get all the B-roll, shoot all the stuff, go over all the features, pull it up on your phone to like, remember the dimensions of the thing that you're talking about and, and all that stuff. And it's like, you know how much money I've made like in the last year and a half? It's not that much. If you
1: broke down the amount of work you put into all those videos and podcasts and then divide it by an hourly rate, (laughs) it would be embarrassing. I'd much rather go to McDonald's and make an honest, you know, 10 bucks an hour.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could just like get a consulting gig talking to people and not doing any work and probably make 10, 20, 100 times more than you make off YouTube until you're like five years in and have 100,000 subscribers. And, you know, I think those people are making some money but yeah it's but it's fun right it's it's like you said it's for the love of it is really the reason so
1: yeah i agree and i also and actually did a a podcast episode about that topic not necessarily like sponsorships or 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 you know how i the reasons why i do things but my Mm -hmm. i did a podcast very recently where i just discussed like the word overlanding and i know this is like so controversial to some people because they take it very Mm -hmm. seriously Right. But I, I read in the last one, I read the definition of what overlanding is. And it talked about like crossing international borders and potentially being out for months and years at a time. And I'm like, hey, guys, 90% of us are camping. All right. So you can use the word overlanding. You can use the word camping. It doesn't matter. Just get outside. Go have fun. Right. You know, like, I, I just sometimes we get caught up in the labels and the titles and the money we spent and the rig we have. And I think we should just be out there enjoying what we're doing.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I agree with you 100%. I think you're totally right. Yeah, too many people get caught up in that that's been the new trend that I've seen in the last like week is people posting their own definitions of overlanding and then getting eviscerated for it. by Oh people.
1: gosh. It's like, I, I even said in the podcast, I was like, I'm pretty sure half of you guys are turning this off right now. Cause you're irritated with me. <laughs> and I get it. You know, like I understand. Right.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Thank you, Mike, for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Hopefully Absolutely. It I
1: appreciate you taking the time.
0: Yeah, no problem. All right, everybody. So that was the interview with Mike. Um, as you saw slash heard, depending on whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast, um, super cool guy, right? Like I just had a great time talking to him. Um, super knowledgeable in the space of Overlanding, really into like content creation and stuff like that, which I nerd out on. Um, so it was cool to talk to someone else that is into making content and, you know, providing value for people and kind of coming up with ideas and things like that around Overlanding to kind of keep people interested. Um so again, special thanks to Mike for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Again, down in the description below will be links to all of his stuff. So if you want to learn more about Off Grid Essentials, if you want to listen to his podcast, he has a much more podcast-esque voice than me. Um so if you're listening to me on the podcast, sorry, I'm not trying to like push you away from my podcast. I hope that you'll stick around, but his voice is a little better than mine. Um so go check him out too in the description below. So, but of course, as always, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching on YouTube. Um, I appreciate all of you. I love hanging out with you guys. I love it when you ask questions. I love when you post up comments on the videos. Um, So thanks to you guys. And uh, we'll see you next week.